podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekender. The weekender starts here. We've got Forbes Duff talking about the LFC Foundation. George Dugdale talking about Oxford United as they face Manchester City next week. But it was mainly an excuse to get George on and have a chat about what BT have been up to as well because I'm a bit nosy like that. We've got Andrew Pimberley from Claremont Farm coming on to talk to us with Nisha Katona about the effectively fantastic Sunday they are putting on for Merseyside on Sunday. That is all to come on your weekender, but we've got to start where we have to start with Liverpool vanquishing Paris Saint-Germain and with the good people in front of me. I have got Kiva O'Neill, I've got Amelia Bond, I've got John Gibbons and I've got the newly married Adam Smith. Congratulations, Congrats. Adam, for that. Thanks. Uh, excellent news. Uh, all went well? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. Um, and what about the Reds beating Paris Saint-Germain? That was good as well. I'd say, I'd say it was better than your wedding, but you know it's what I was doing. <laughs> Do you know it might well have been? I was saying to Kiva just before that we started, I was uh, we went away for a little mini-moon to Tenerife straight after the wedding. So I was flying. But can I just write mini-moon down? Mini-moon. Oh, mate, it's mini-moon. There's, There's a lot of moon shots. I only got onto baby moon recently. What's, What's that? Baby what, when you That's... have a baby? No. Before you have the baby? It's, it's when the girl's pregnant, you have a holiday before the baby comes and your life's over. Ah, nice. you got to obviously pick where your baby moves. You know, it's not really Cancun, spring break. It's more like, you, <laughs> you know... can't go too far, can you? Yeah, yeah. It's more like, you know... Cottage in Wales. Lovely. There you are. So that's the baby moon. I don't <laughs> the mini moon. So, so I had the mini moon. Uh, so, so we went to Tenerife and the, the flight home was literally the duration of the match. So I've had to watch it in, uh, since we got back. I've had to watch it. it after that, but I, so as we were getting on the plane, there was like two or three people in Liverpool top. So I was like, there's a good flight in there to be on this one. We just missed the entirety of the, of the game. Um, and uh, and so I was like, oh, what I'll do is I'll catch up. I'll just read through my Twitter timeline and that'll, you know, sort of tell me the mood of the match and all that sort of thing. And open me phone and it was like um, Firmino scores a winner I was like brilliant what a waste of everyone's time <laughs> so when I was reading through the timeline people were getting stressed out at 2-all I was like it's alright lads the winner's coming so. <laughs> uh, the winner did come John it was the explosion really of European football being back and you know it's it's a strange thing at times. I've, I've done so, I've chatted about sort of Liverpool culture, and I'm always intrigued by it. In that, I love us being the centre of attention, and then I love us being the centre of attention, and then doing that. I think there's some football clubs who genuinely do live the ethos of no one likes us and we don't care. Whereas I think Liverpool, we sort of want everyone, everyone to fall in love with us a bit and have to accept it and take it. Oh, we're incredibly needy, Neil. Incredibly needy. Um, you know, we want all the attention and, and the love and the adulation. Uh, we must be a nightmare. In fact, in fact, I'm, off, I'm often told we are on Twitter. But you know, it's it's just the way we are. You know, don't go get us on our worst. You don't deserve us at our best. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and yeah, but it was that on Tuesday. It was, and what's good about these group of players is that they seem to like, you know, the, the limelight as well. The bigger the occasion at the moment, the better that the, the playing. And you know, they've got Southampton to get up for now, and, and they'll have to approach that in a similar way. And yeah, hopefully they will. But these these big occasions, or well, the players love it, the manager loves it, the crowd certainly love it, and. Yeah, it's, it's some record we've got now, especially at home in Europe, you know, going back to throughout Klopp's reign, not just last year, but the Europa League one as well. And I don't know, at some point, what an opposition player is going to have to acknowledge it before the game. <laughs> you to say, it's tough coming here and yeah, getting something. Yeah, yeah, we're going to try our best. <laughs> Um, intensity is a thing, Amelia. That's one of the one of my takeaways from the game is that intensity is a thing for football matches, which I think at times it does surprise opposition players much more than it should, as John says. You know, it's maybe maybe they should be genuinely publicly and privately preparing for a really intense, awkward ninety minutes. Yeah, wait, are we talking about on the pitch or just coming to Anfield? At both, all? it's both. Yeah, I think I love when people, especially people on Twitter, say that we go on too much about atmosphere and your atmosphere, this and that, and you know you're competing against the best in Europe. But on Tuesday, we show that not only can we compete 
against the best in Europe. We are the best in Europe. And also, you're going to have to play against us in a stadium where a lot of people saw us almost win the Champions League last season and really, truly believe we can do it again because we look like we can. And I think like when that group gets... Um, released I, like a lot of people said it couldn't have really have gone worse for us and yet Tuesday couldn't really have gone better and the atmosphere is undoubtedly a part of that like it is it's dead intimidating I think it's key but it's this it's this so it is that the very notion that the, the, the original sort of Shankly notion of of it being a collective thing I think that that's what when people say you can't just talk about atmosphere they're actually missing the point what the atmosphere does is it gets Liverpool players into their best possible shape and then that becomes a symbiotic relationship which goes back and forth right the way through that game that's what I think you get from the, the glasses thing is happening again which is weird I never know when it's going to happen <laughs> there's no regularity to this there's no, that's that's the the impact it has, I think. That's 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 the bit that they miss when they say it's just atmosphere. Well, it was under two minutes and Trent, like, sort of, it was off the ball almost yeah, yeah. and he just pushed Neymar in the back and I was just like, yes. <laughs> We're gonna, and those little things need to happen so early on. I mean, it doesn't set the tempo because the tempo was already really high. And then I just loved how many people were just attacking Neymar the whole game. I think we were tackling... <clears throat> our own players to get to him. It was like everyone wanted to get to him. And there was this part where he sort of weaved in and out of everyone and I thought, oh no, this might be that kind of game. Where he, he is good like. Yeah, he was just <laughs> weaving and I was like, oh no. And then sort of like Henderson like dragged him back or something. And it was kind of like I thought the game could be like that. But there's almost something under the hallow turf of Anfield that is like, it's just a feeling and you yeah. just know. And even though like, the scoreline doesn't kind of write the picture of the game three two, you know. But the way the way we won it and the way it felt, it was just yeah. And amazing. I think that feeling even is a big part of the atmosphere, and I think that's why people don't necessarily understand it until they come. Because when we talk about atmosphere, I think people think we're talking about basically what PSG did, which was amazing in its own way, singing, you know, jumping up and down for ninety minutes, what they created, not changing, you know, whether they were in the game or, or not, you know, is, is an impressive. It's hard work for a start, you know, and it's great that they can do that. And so people think, oh, I've played in front of that, so I'm okay. But the Liverpool atmosphere is kind of different and it's more kind of emotional and it's more cyclical. And Tuchel's felt it twice now where there just becomes a series of inevitability that Liverpool are going to score. And I think everyone just realises it, including the opposition. And, you know, and, and that's what Tuchel talked about more after the Dortmund game, but he sort of said it again this time. He said, it's, it's the power of Anfield, isn't it? It's not this case of, oh, they're singing so loud, I can't I can't think and I've just passed the ball out. It's that everyone just goes, yeah, Liverpool are going to score yeah. next, you know. Well, that's that was sort of, John mentioned, you think about the end of the game there, Adam, but one of the parts that... When I thought again, this idea of team and team and crowd as one, and I'd be intrigued to get your view of it. Having watched it back, knowing the result, is that thirty to forty minute segment. We go, we go one nil, and it is as though the crowd and the players basically say to Paris Saint Germain, "Do not dare spend any time out of your half until you've had the decency to give us a second goal. We want that second <laughs> goal." And it, they just get absolutely penned in. I think, I think the midfield three do brilliantly in that spell, and they just refuse to allow any freedom whatsoever for Paris Saint Germain at that stage. And the crowds are absolutely up. The momentum of the celebrations there, and suddenly there's nothing they can do. Yeah, I think I think you said after the Dortmund game, interestingly enough, that there was the the Liverpool crowd. It's sort of what John was saying tonight. There isn't about constant noise it's about sensing the moment and about you know feeling like this is the, the time to strike if you like and that's what it, not necessarily the time to strike but that feeling of we're just we're just so good that we're going to get a second here and and you're not going to be able to do anything about it and and that's 
it's it is funny how almost both sets of players go along with that. Like there's no logical reason why a team should go they're going to get a second year, aren't they? Like they should, especially a team full of superstars that have cost, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds. But they did sort of accede to the idea that they they were going to concede a second one in a minute. So what, how are they going to score it? It was more how are they going to score it rather than when. Yeah, what does it look like? Gonna, yeah, exactly. And then the lad just says, like? I'll just kick him and then the pen and then it's over. But yeah. it's a daft pen. Like <laughs> it's it. such a stupid foul looking at it back. You're just like, why have you bothered doing that? Like it was, it was just very daft. It was daft, but daft... Just because it's stupid doesn't mean it's not a penalty, but also it is that no, idea more. But it's more the idea of this just won't stop. I've got, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm repeatedly having to make decisions. Yeah. So if the football player is like, I'm repeatedly having to make decisions and look, I'm about to make a bad one because yeah. guess what? That's what happens. Yeah. Uh, the other one that gets me, Kiva, is the in the noise and in the in the kerfuffle, our players stay calm. And I think the best example of that in recent weeks has actually been Joe Gomez, who is, you know, this is our obligatory long chat about how cool and great Joe Gomez is that we've now got to do on every show. <laughs> but he sent it off there against Neymar and Cavani. They're the ones who are playing in his area. And he, yes, we do concede too, but he just eases his way through all of this turmoil around him and barely puts a foot wrong again. Yeah, and he's 21. It's just remarkable. When you sort of look at him, I said a couple of weeks ago after the Leicester game, he, he looks like a twin of Van Dyke, but now he's not. He's sort of come out of his is Shell and he's his own player. I feel like Allison and Van Dyke and Robertson and Trent, they all have an impact on each other and like they all feel responsible to defend. But he my he just looks so good, doesn't he? Just he just slides in. He's he's really when Van Dyke is a little bit slower than him, so he just seems to be there to sort of mop it up. And I feel like Van Dyke's wonderful at what he does. They they're just like a cooperative and they just sort of work around each other and uh, it's just so good to watch. It's John. It's it's genuine centre half play, and that's not sort of to, to to cry anyone else or anything like that. It's more that this is now, you know, this is it. Now looks like a it looks like a three year partnership. It looks like something that's been going on for for years. You know, it, it really does. It looks it looks so mature, but in terms of both the play, but also the interaction with one another. Yeah, they are a genuine partnership, and you think about. You know, the, the back five generally and how kind of thrown together it is, if you like, in terms of, you know, I mean, the, the goalkeeper's obviously new as well, but, you know, Robinson and, and, and Trent both kind of broke through through last season and, you know, Virgil van Dijk signed in January. So the person who's been at the club longest is is, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's almost a <laughs> senior man in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of appearances, isn't it? In fact, he probably isn't. But they, they look collectively great as a four then certainly as a two and they just seem to really enjoy defending and, and enjoy the idea of you know this this is our part of the game and this is what we're going to get through and if we keep a clean sheet or if we keep them limited at least then our attacking players will do the business and yeah they're enjoying playing with each other they're enjoying the defending for Liverpool and there just seems to be a great determination there that you're not going to give anyone an easy time and it is such an amazing front three they've come up against there. And so the fact that they were so quiet and, you know, when Bappy shows what he can do there in a split second, doesn't it? And you're almost glad he does because you're like, there, look, he's boss. Told you. <laughs> yeah, just because he's been quiet doesn't mean he's not boss. It just means that we've done such a good job. And those fullbacks, like, you know, you, you, you're you a little bit worried about them going into the game just because they were up against and they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Adam, there's, for me, it's a really interesting conversation around management and that, you know, Gomez... He may not even have started the season if Matip didn't get injured. And it, it shows that, you know, a lot of what we, I think, as supporters, what we almost want at times is our man, the idea that the manager is constantly building, has per a structured plan with, you know, his chess pieces are all coming into place and all of that. And that's undoubtedly part of it. But there's also such a thing as, as creating an environment 
and riding a wave. That is part of football management, but it's part of football management and, and Gomez is rolling this back four. But maybe this whole back four is is that. It's creating an environment and then when the wave comes, riding it and saying yes. I think I think one of Klopp's big strengths is the willingness to change his plan depending on what's happening around him. And I think four out of the back five, if you include the goalkeeper, arguably wouldn't be there if circumstances hadn't happened around them because Trent obviously was never supposed to be starting week in, week out last season, but Klein was out for pretty much the entire season. The goalkeeper, you know, all of... How much truth there is in it, we don't know. But all of the noises around Klopp was that he was happy with Carriers heading into the Champions League final. And he and he had played relatively well during that period. And then the Champions League final happens and suddenly the need to go and buy a new goalkeeper becomes far more evident than before. The the same thing with Moreno and Robertson, although the manager, I think, was always intending to introduce Robertson slowly. He got thrown in earlier than I think the manager wanted because of the injury. So really, there's only Van Dijk there that that was bought with the specific aim of coming in, starting pretty much week in, week out. The rest of the back five are there because the manager has been willing to say, yeah, let's 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 change things around, let's mix things up, let's go with what we've got in front of us. And the players have seized their opportunity, which is which is not something that all managers accept. All managers would rush the you know, not all, a lot of managers would rush the more senior players back in as soon as they were fit. But now you're looking at it and saying, well, I, I don't know how Lovren gets into this team right now unless there's an injury to somebody yeah. because because who deserves to be dropped? out of the you know I mean obviously Van Dyke isn't going to get dropped anytime soon apart from for cup games but Gomez has been you know and I was one of the people at the start of the season that was like I don't know I wasn't blown away by him at right back and we haven't really seen him at centre back so I don't know what we're going to get but now you know I'd feel gutted for him if he ended up getting dropped without having done anything wrong in between now and you know the next game I don't want any of them players to not play I just wanted to be that back five forever for infinity you know for the rest of our lives just be it them forever just because I just feel like if someone else comes in like Lovren or something they've got them mistakes like we yeah. these players have got their mistakes but they seem to have like a just they just sort of brush it off the shoulders like oh we've made a mistake we go again and I think you know I've said before the sort of muscle memory of mistakes is not a good thing for defenders to have and these defenders this back five right now will make mistakes but they will learn from them and they won't make as many I don't think as other players um other things that came out of the game was the nonsense around Mo Salah uh, with the water bottle. I mean, if people have never seen what an angry celebration looks like, honestly, they want to come and sit near me at the match. There's been some celebrations. I'll just knock, I'll knock everything to bits around me. Um, Amelia, there's, there is also, though, I think there's two strange things on Salah. One is that you can, not, you can argue he's finding fluency a little bit difficult. But I would sort of say, I remember all the way through last season when he was, when he was prolific, but I never really felt he was that fluent a player. Like it was never like he was playing astonishing football and there were goals. It was that he was able to play astonishing moments of football yeah. that would result in a goal, if you see yeah. what I mean. And you know, he gets a goal disallowed, for instance, in this game. I'm, I think there's 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 pockets of concern maybe where they just don't need to be them. No, I'd agree with that. And I think last season, looking at, I mean, like he's brilliant. There's no denying that he's brilliant. But I think a lot of it felt like. He was in, he, being in the right place at the right time is a skill. I'm not saying that's luck or like some sort of sheer chance, but I agree with the fluency thing. I uh, I think a lot of it comes down to how you'd feel about a new relationship that in season when you're like, he's brilliant and he can do no wrong and he's this and he's that. And obviously he's not having as good a season as he did last year, but like our perception of him and the atmosphere around him and the excitement and like that's got to affect what you're actually doing on the pitch. Like the fact that people are absolutely buzzing over you and that people are dead excited and you knew and you can do no wrong. So it's not like that. And also, 
I still reckon that coming off in a Champions League final injured makes you feel a bit sad and rubbish and that it can be hard to come back from that mentally. Like, I don't know if that's a thing, but considering how dedicated and into that campaign he was and how crucial to it he was, I think coming back from that must be difficult. I think he's. I think there's definitely something in that, John. I think there's also something in the fact that he's being. He, people have got more of a plan for him now. Our analysts have gone away. They've spent the summer. They've done the videos. They've done the research. They've moved from there. And there's definitely an element of that. But again, even then, around this time last season, if you you know, we all remember the there was the Manchester City away game where yeah. everyone said afterwards, "Oh, he's missed loads of chances there." Are we sure? It doesn't seem quite right to me. You know, it's the, the, the footballers play in cycles and waves. Yeah, and he's he's just generally a, like a quite a weird, brilliant player, isn't he? And and that sense is in that. You know, if you were, it's, for example, Steven Gerrard, it's really easy to list things that he's good at and you could sit here all day and we could do the rest of the show on things that Steven Gerrard's good at. With, with, with Mo Salah, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't be quite as good from a top Trump's point of view, does he? It's just, he's got that thing that's hard to explain. It's it's what Amelia says about the knack about being in the right place at the right time. It's it's knowing, it's it's, it's almost the, the way that when he's at his best, he can plot his way to how he, where, to to. He knows what exactly what he wants to do to, to to get the shot away and, and can kind of plot his way towards goal like everyone else is stuck and he's just like a, a you know a person moving around chess pieces. I think you know he is he'll he'll be great for us this season and he's doing pretty well now. He's he's involved and he's dangerous and you know like what you're saying about people if people are worrying more about him then then it's more space for the other lads and and they're really good too. But. I think he will be fine. I think he's probably putting a little bit more pressure on himself. I don't yeah. think, I don't know if he's necessarily sad about what happened. Uh, I mean, he must be a little bit when he thinks about it, but I don't think he's necessarily going on the pitch thinking about it. I think he's just putting quite a lot of pressure on himself at the moment and maybe just needs to relax a bit more and remember that last year the goals just came and when they came, they just kept going and he looked like he didn't have a care in the world. It's the difficult second album, isn't it? But <laughs> um, yeah. I can't think about uh, Adam. Sturridge starting and scoring against Paris Saint-Germain for too long is it's a bit like staring into the sun in its terms of its wonderfulness. <laughs> the message it sends to Sturridge and to the wider squad really from Klopp, certainly when it comes out afterwards, that he could have played for me, you know. To me, that is, you know, it, it's a real... It, I'll see it from Fabinho's point of view. My, my thing on this, if you're Fabinho, you're a human being. He's probably had one or two minor sleepless nights thinking, I'm not getting my game here. And this fella's saying it's all all right, but I'm not getting my game and I'm used to playing every week. And even if you're Fabinho there, you can say, yeah, I can trust this fella. Look what he's just done for that lad. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting to talk about it off the back of Salah as well, because I, I think there's loads of things that are going on with Salah that are being unspoken of at the moment. I think Amelia's point about the, the Champions League final is, is a perfectly solid one. He also had basically the entire weight of the Egyptian nation resting on his shoulders for the World Cup and couldn't and play all a the unpleasantness of games. And, and then I was about to say, and you know, who knows what the Egyptian FA stuff is going on with his in his head at the moment. Plus, there's opposition teams doing something about him, blah, blah, blah. And then as far as the match against PSG is concerned, he's also got to play a lot more like a like a like a normal winger because Sturridge is there instead of Firmino. So it, 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 it's, it, it is all of that's wrapped up into what's going on with him. And then Sturridge comes in and, uh, you know, loads of people, and I would readily hold up my hand and say I was one of them, were, were saying, you know, he, he's done really. Because, and I, I'm still not convinced that he's not, but I think that the way he we're going to get the best out of him when he plays is if the, the two people either side of him are playing more like regular wingers when he's on the pitch than, than they currently do. Uh, you know, so them working each other out is going to be interesting if he has to play more games, if, if Firmino gets a muscle injury or something like that. That'll be interesting. Um, but, he, you know, he's what he does is so different to what Firmino does. 
and yet it adds something to the game that helps. So closing down the passing lanes, you know, is, is what he's got. He's never going to be a Harry harass, bother the players in the same way that Firmino is. But he's intelligent enough to know that if all I do is just move over here, it just causes them issues. It just means they've got to rethink slightly. He's, he's good enough to do that. And, and that's where, I, you know, I would readily admit, as I say, that I was wrong in ruling him out because he's he's too intelligent a player to keep down, really. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he... How he you develops his game more in that sense over the coming weeks and months, I think. I think Salah is struggling slightly and it sort of looked like he needed Firmino the other night, sort of. Firmino's, it's like when, I said to you before, like when when you don't have someone on the pitch, you kind of realise what they do when they're there. And Firmino is like, Sturridge has got great hold of play, but Firmino's is like little interchanges with Salah and Salah's sort of his compass was a little bit off because that front three is so familiar and have worked together for a long time. But like a made-up storage got his goal, he totally deserved. And I think he'll he'll keep, he won't play every game, but he'll he'll come up with these these amazing moments for himself and for us. And, you know, just I hope that it's going to be a fairy tale for him because it's what we all want. Well, the redemption arc's brilliant, John, it really is. I mean, I was giving interviews to um, to a West Brom podcast in, in in January. I remember doing it in the back of a cab in Dublin. Um, I had to warn about a few pints. And I was the attitude was, he's gone, you know, this is it. He won't be coming back to Liverpool. The redemption arc is, is phenomenal and, it's, and it is a huge act of faith from his manager. It is, yeah. Uh, but it's... I mean, none of us could have necessarily seen it coming, I don't think, which is why Adam's, you know, saying, oh, you know, I was wrong about that. I think everyone was, really. And yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, for him to have the change, it, it's a complete turnaround in everything. It's a, it's a turnaround in attitude, if we're honest. It's a turnaround in what he's what we thought his body could do. So it's one thing Sturridge saying, oh, I'm going to knuckle down and be a squad player and the grass is, I've been to West Brom and it's rubbish. I'm not doing that again. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to knuckle down, get involved, you know, buy into Klopp's culture completely. It's one thing do, saying that, but then actually having the physical capabilities of doing it, you know, I wouldn't have expected either of those things to happen really. You know, I'd have said, oh, fair play, Daniel, that all sounds great, but when, the, when they're training three times a day in, in America and it's dead hard, your body's not going to be up to it, but it has been. Apparently he's hardly missed anything. And so it's been, it's been, you know, remarkable really. And then, and then he's, he's been patient over the, over, you know, the, the first few games, you know, a few of them have been, and, and he's, you know, now got his start and, and gets his first Champions League goal. And it is a really nice story, but, you know, away from the niceness of us all liking Daniel Sturridge because he's such a likeable guy. You know, he's, someone wrote in the, in the week about, you know, it's, it's almost like having a £50 million footballer, isn't it? Suddenly you've got this, this striker who, like, you know, we'd have maybe given away in the summer because of the wage thing and, and all that. And then now suddenly you've got this guy who's, you know, who's... Who, dynamite in front of goal who's, who's able to do these other things for you as well he's going to be such an asset for Liverpool this year getting to watch him celebrate that is like whatever else happens the rest of this Champions League season which I don't mean I'd quite like us to win <laughs> it was it was just beautiful and brilliant and like when he celebrates it I mean maybe I'm reading too much into it but you, you feel like you can see him thinking you all wrote me off or you thought I was gone or you thought that I wouldn't get to be doing this it's his first Champions League start since he joined the club and he does that and like when he's celebrating it, it does look like him saying, you didn't think I could do it and here I am doing it. 
Can we just mention Sadio Mane just copying everyone's celebrations? Yeah. It's so good. It just makes everyone's celebrations a little bit better. Oh. Me too, me, me too. He's like yeah, a hype I'm man. Gonna, yeah, yeah, he is. He's a hype man. Let's get him in the office. That's what I miss about. Uh, Adam, the group picture's lovely. It's a lovely position to be in. I mean, if we don't lose in Napoli, there's every chance, and that's not writing anyone off, but we've seen the quality of this Liverpool side. There's every chance we can have this done relatively early. Not losing in Napoli is going to be its own difficult sentence. Let's be honest about that. You know, it's a tough place to go, but there is... You know, as wins go to open a group up for you, that was an absolute belter. The the thing about last season with City was teams felt that they, that was a, that they'd wrote off that match before they even played it. And Liverpool, I think, going into this season, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, they, well, they made the final last season, you know, and they played well, but they didn't. They had an easy route there, blah blah blah." Well, no one can call PSG an easy game at home or away, and and that. In, in Napoli heads, they're going to be looking at it and thinking, well, that's not necessarily the game that we need to, you know, knuckle down and win at all costs. That You know, the game against Napoli, will be, sorry, the game against PSG is maybe one that, that, that we're likely to be fighting for second place against them. And the more that we can be in a position where the teams that we're, you know, all three of the teams that we're playing look at this and go, well, you know, yeah, that's not the one that we're maybe going to win. So let's let's concentrate on other stuff. Not, you know, which isn't to say that they're going to go into the game and play the kids or whatever, but it's just a mental attitude, isn't it? And you, you, you saw it last season. Every single team played the best possible 11 against City, but every single team went out onto the pitch basically already having lost. And we could, you know, it, it, it would be very, very nice going into, you know, weeks sort of five and six, knowing that this is pretty much done and we need to draw here or a draw there. And this is a Liverpool team that has shown two seasons running in big games on the final day of the season that if we need a result, we can get the result. So it is really an exciting win, especially the manner in which it came. This is the Anfield Apps weekend. There was lots of reasons why I made the decision to do this weekend a show uh, in place of City Talk. We do, still do City Talk and do the radio, but there's 25 minutes summing up the Paris Saint-Germain game. We're absolutely delighted with that. There's loads of coverage of it on Tour Player as well. If you haven't subscribed, do consider doing so. And the other reason why we wanted to move on to our more weekend format was to talk to different people and get more voices involved. That is to come. Forbes Duff talking about the LFC Foundation. I've got... Excuse me, George Dugdale talking about BT's coverage and Oxford United in general. Uh, and I've got Andrew Pimbley and Nisha Katona talking about the dog fair in Claremont Farm on Sunday. It's everything that you need. And then we're going to be back with these to talk about Liverpool versus Southampton. What a weekend it is. Thanks, Neil. It is John Gibbons for uh, the Anfield Rapper. Delighted to be joined by Forbes Duff, who uh, works for Liverpool Football Club. Uh, what is your, your exact title there, Forbes? Uh, well, good to see you, John. Um, yeah, so as I said, I'm Forbes stuff, um, work at Liverpool Football Club, and I am um, the Red Neighbours manager for the Red Neighbours programme, which uh, the club looks to engage with residents and local, lots of local community goods uh, groups in L4, L5, and L6. Yeah, Red Neighbours formed, I think, in January 2017. That sounds about right. Has already won awards for the work it's done, which must make you really proud. And I think it is fair to say, I think before we get in a bit more into it, that it was something that was needed. Uh, you must, when you came into the role, I don't know whether you were surprised at some of the some of the kind of animosities pushing it, but there was there was a breakdown in relationships, wasn't there? That, that I know the work that you've done has done a lot to fix. Yeah, definitely. And the football club's done lots over the years for the community. Um, and basically the real focus was on the Anfield area. Um, and, you know, the stadium's there and, you know, there's lots of different community groups make up that neighbourhoods of L4, L5, L6. Um, so yes, it was great. The club wanted to have a real focus and a real determination to say, right, how can we impact for the greater good 
uh, those living in around uh, Anfield. Um, so obviously I worked um, within the club's foundation for many years and then the club asked me to head up um, a small team to impact on local people. It was a challenge that you know I wasn't going to turn down and um, try and uh, let people um, see that Liverpool Football Club does care and give something back, which is what, what we should be doing anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's a mixture of projects, isn't there? And I think there's kind of four pillars that you, that you try and kind of work on, but it can be sort of big things like, I know physical activity is something that you, you guys are really big on, so getting people of all ages more active and there's the walking football that I think a few of the lads kind of went down and joined in on and things like that. But also sometimes it's just one what might seem a little thing, but but it's obviously a big deal to the to the people involved. I've noticed this week um, you invited a lot of pensioners from the area to go in an executive box and, you know, it's, it's as I say, that's just a one-off kind of thing for, for them, but it's something that they'll, I'm sure, talk about all year especially the game that they got. Yeah, definitely. And we have um, obviously local care homes within walking distance Anfield that see the stadium, but maybe never have stepped over, never mind on a match day. So when we get an opportunity to invite um, local residents in to uh, a special treat to watch the game and host them in a box, then it's a great thing to do. And it's, you know, lots of people are passionate about the club and want to support the team and get behind the team. And I've got lots of memories long before my time of great players that they remember uh, or who they watched when they were, they were growing up. So it's great to have them in, spend time with them and they can watch the game, see the current team, but then also talk about um, players that they used to watch growing up. Um, and sort of in a bigger programme, it helps with the social isolation. You know, lot, lots of people, if you're in a care home or a nursing home, um, that's your community, yeah. but then to open the doors, come across to Anfield, meet the staff, you know, w- watch a game and have a common goal. And, you know, football does cross a lot of boundaries and does have a lot of um, things in common with people, regardless, um, you know, if you're a massive fan of the club or not, there's still a lot in common. Yeah, and so away from match day then, I mean, obviously this the stuff that there you're doing for match day, and I know there's a lot of primary school children who you've taken to Anfield for the first time because we went and interviewed uh, two, two schools kind of right by Anfield, and a lot of those kids have been to Anfield for the first time because of you guys, but it's not just kind of match day and then and then it goes away. There's, there's stuff you're doing all week, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So um, what you talk about is the free school tickets. So yeah. uh, the 25 local schools in L4, L5, L6, they all get access to come to five home Premier League games uh, in the season. Um, and, you know, that's such a great thing. Uh, we don't dictate what the schools do. They may use it for reward or someone's overcome adversity. But a lot of the children come and we ask. They've never been to Anfield, never been inside, let alone a match day. So it's a great thing to do. And then, yeah, during the week and on a weekly basis, we try and engage them to make memorable experience. Uh, and we've done lots of things where we're able to get players to visit schools or bring schools into Anfield to meet players, meet former players, meet uh former managers and just sort of engage with local kids to give them that experience that, um, you know, Liverpool Football Club is more than the living guys on the pitch playing. There's a lot of other things that they may be interested in. And a couple of weeks' time, we've got like a career speed networking happening with the four big high schools in the area. And that's sort of to bring the elements of the football club that maybe people don't see together um, to show that, you know, if you if you want to work at Liverpool Football Club, it's not always about um, actually playing. There's lots of other roles that you can do. Yeah, no, is there, is there more that you'd like to do? Is it a case of, as I say, it's only been going just over a year now. Have you got ambitions to kind of take it even wider at the moment? I don't mean necessarily mean geographically, but but even more things that you kind of love, love to be doing if you have maybe more people or just a little bit more time. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think we'd love more resources to put into it um, and definitely more, more uh, opportunities to engage with um, the local community and what we do. I think um, schools would have us in every day if we could, but trying to base yourself around all those 
different schools uh, is a challenge. So definitely we've got ambitions to do more events, more opportunities, more engagement um, and more trying to give people the opportunity to come and experience um, uh, Liverpool and, uh, and see the team if we can and just really make some memorable experiences. More importantly for me, it's all about helping others. We try and help others as much as we can. And then through the Red Neighbours programme, as you mentioned, there's four uh, pillars of work. So through those four pillars is how we try and do that. So, I mean, I have asked you to come on this when we were out in America and you were out in, I think it was Detroit or Ann Arbor, just outside the, outside the stadium. And, and I said, Forbes, you're going to have to finally come on. And, and you sort of agreed. But the fact that they're taking you out there is, is quite a kind of statement in itself. So away from Anfield and on these tours, what's your kind of role when, when Liverpool are going away and why are they taking you with you? Yeah, so basically I've, I've been on a number of tours for many years um, and basically it's to do with community engagement. It's all about going over, working with local charities, local organisations and local groups to um, try and take a, a little bit of the Liverpool way or the Liverpool uh, ethos over there to help others, really. Um, and I've done that when, when we met out in, uh, out in Ann Arbor. Um, it's all about trying to do that. Uh, the event I was at was obviously engaging with fans, but we worked with Make-A-Wish, um, Street Soccer USA, um, and we worked with like different charities. It's all about trying to do a little bit of football or as they would call soccer coaching, but then also how to engage with them. And uh, we think we donated well over 300 tickets um, across the tour to local um, community groups out in America who we've got links or who we've worked with in the past. Um, so I was out there to try and do that. And also we hook up with uh, Make-A-Wish USA uh, and we did a couple of um, special meeting greets where we knew that Make-A-Wish wanted to have a couple of young people that wanted to make their dreams come true so we were able to do that and um, which was a which was a great thing to do so that's yeah. why we were there but i am sorry i was reluctant to come on <laughs> <laughs> as you know I'd, I'd rather be under the radar and not known but when you've got such an unusual name and voice it's difficult <laughs> <laughs> but it's also as well that obviously you know part of the the you know you're doing these things and it's fantastic but it's also important that people hear about them and that's why I was so keen to get you in because I think what I find is that most Liverpool fans all around the world they want to feel kind of proud of the football club on and off the pitch really and obviously at the moment we're, we're delighted with the players because they're 100% and they're beating teams from all over the, all over Europe and it's great but also you know there's been times where you know, you've heard certain stories about Liverpool. You're like, oh, that's not that's not great. And, and I think hearing these positive PR stories that you're able to kind of demonstrate and you're involved with, I think does make people kind of feel a little bit more proud to support the football club. Have you found that as well? Yeah, definitely. I think there's so much that we do do in the community, but we just don't shout about it. Um, it's kind of like that saying that sort of well done is better than well said. Yeah. Um, and I know our uh, blue half across the city are very good at telling you how great they are, but I think it's far better that... Um, you should deliver what you do, let local people make up their own mind and then engage with them that way. And then I think that's your biggest spread of word of mouth is people's experience and people's interaction. And that's what I've really tried to do in the team having Red Neighbours is try and be local, be impactful, you know, be honest, have high integrity and um, make sure that we um, do what we say we're going to do. And over the years, I agree with you, there's been a lot of negative report about different things happening. But I think that cycle is, is turning and it has been turning for a while and you know I'm just sort of got the privilege of trying to uh, give back um, I've got to mention to you you know it's just trying to help others that are in you know difficult situations but then also hopefully fans feel proud that you know what we are doing uh, something that's worthwhile we are doing impactful and you know we're trying to build on it and of course we can always 
with all the will and the world, you know, we'll always fall short somewhere, but I think doing something's better than nothing. And that's what we're trying to build on, trying to build on um, the Red Neighbours, the four pillars and sort of pushing them out into the community and who knows where the future lies, maybe wider afield. Fantastic. Um, so if, if people are listening to this and they say that they, they want to try and support it, is there anything that, that you would encourage maybe get involved with the food banks on, on match days or anything in particular? Yeah, 100%. Uh, fan supporting food banks on a match day, every home game at Anfield, the food bank vans there on Anfield Road. Um, but then you've also got the um, drop-off points in the retail store and obviously over at Homebaked. So I would say fans, if you wanted to get involved, then yep, please bring along an item of food that would be greatly appreciated. It all goes to the North Liverpool Food Bank, which then services families in the north of the city. Um, so that's such a great thing um, to do. And then other options are, is we've got a, a Twitter account. If you want to follow that and you can uh, tweet us that way, we're always looking to try and engage uh, with as many community groups and people as possible. And, you know, we aren't the finished article. There's always room for improvement. So I would say, yeah, um, from a practical point of view, food banks is a great thing. But then also, if you want to follow us on Twitter and help push out the message of um, the work that we're trying to do in the local community, then that's that would be a great thing as well. Fantastic. There's going to be a longer interview uh, with with Forbes on the Anfield Rep website. It's going to be done by Gareth Roberts. It'll be better than this one. So do kind of uh, <laughs> ju- jump on that. But in the meantime, thanks to Forbes for joining us. And yeah, back to you, Neil. Taking the opportunity to catch up with George Dugdale, we're going to have a chat about about the the the, the, the shift in the way in which television operates. For those of you who don't know, George works for BT and is the absolute business of doing so. But we're also uh, going to chat about Oxford United as he supports and loves Oxford United uh, to absolute pieces. And they play Manchester City next Tuesday night in the EFL Cup. And while City will make a fair few changes, George, you at least could have the decency to kick them off the pitch. Yeah, I think uh, I think they'll be having a good go. Put it that way. There's um been a slower start to the season quite a lot of frustration knocking around so you know you'd like to think that first 10-15 minutes are going to make it difficult for them at the very least and uh, see where it takes us where it takes you at the minute I mean you, you say it's been a slow start to the season I think you're being very kind uh, the, 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 from the outside looking in it looks like it's been bad eight games five points Oxford uh, you know the, you look very much on the march two seasons ago can you give me a potted history of where it's gone wrong <laughs> yeah it's um all gone slightly awry quite quickly. Um, we lost Michael Appleton, uh, who was the manager that kind of turned the club around, got us moving forwards. We'd stagnated a bit in League Two. He got us promoted, playing really good football. Everything was looking great, brilliant. Uh, the recruitment team on fire. Everything was going perfectly. And then, probably quite rightly so, he got given an assistant manager's job in the Premier League and he couldn't say no to it. So, he went to Leicester and we lost him. Um, we then recruited poorly. The next manager was the wrong man, um, Pep Clotet, who was Gary Monk's assistant. He didn't last very long and his recruitment was so far away from the template that had taken us uh, out of League Two by signing kind of young Premier League players that weren't getting games and just needed to, to go and make a club their own. Yeah. Uh, we then started signing foreign lads and free agents from... Abroad, we signed Dwight T and Darley. He used to play for Swansea. He hadn't played football for two years. Just uh, thought we'd let him have a go in League One. And all of that ended how you'd expect it to. Uh, he was sacked. We took about six weeks to get Carl Robinson in. He just about got us clear of relegation at the end of last season. This summer, we thought we'd gone back to the recruitment methods that had kind of got us where we were. And the start was just... After a really positive pre-season, and this is proof that the pre-season means absolutely nothing, just c- couldn't get going. And the performances are getting a bit better at the moment, but it still feels like 
the momentum we had has really gone and we just can't quite get kick-started under, under Robinson. And it's worth putting in that we've had an ownership change in the meantime uh, and we're now owned by the Thai company. So it's, uh, it's changed significantly from the team that I used to uh, fawn over. Yeah, you used to rave about and that's it strikes me a little bit, you know, this is a thing that happens to, to to sides lower down the pyramid. It happens to sides at the very top. I mean, you know, you can you can point to Liverpool having sold better players, best players across the last five, six, seven years. It happens to everyone. The key thing, you know, is always isn't the idea that you're going to lose players. I think every club in Europe is open to that. Cristiano Ronaldo went from Real Madrid to Juventus. It's always what you do next, isn't it? And that's where that's where maybe football clubs still a number of them need to get better and better at imagining next steps. Yeah, these things have always worked in cycles and especially for clubs lower down where you're not working off a massive multi-million pound infrastructure that can keep breeding success. You're having to do things a little bit differently to find your way and we found our way of doing that by taking the players out of under 23 teams and making them successful, selling them on, probably selling one or two every summer but then recruiting in the same way, going again and that was how we, we made things sustainable and also you got to watch a really good player for 18 months to two years and it was a lot of fun. So once you, you lose that and also other people cotton on to maybe this might be the way to do it, you know, um, you see what's making Oxford good. How are they doing it? Signing all the players yeah. from these reserve sides. And then all of a sudden, everyone wants to sign the players from the reserve sides. The Premier League clubs start demanding more for them. And suddenly this niche market you found that was, uh, quite sustainable in terms of what you're spending and what you're getting back. Suddenly you're having to spend quite a lot of money and put a massive sell-on clause to even get these lads. So the game's changed and I don't think we've quite found the uh, the next way to be successful yet. When Manchester City do come, the the thing the thing about Oxford a couple of years ago was the football that you play. You play really quality stuff. You'd look to be you'd look to play play the game a little bit. That looks like it could be tougher and tougher with uh, with Manchester with Manchester City coming. It, it's that that could be a lot of diminishing returns that one. Yeah, and look, when we when we were talking two years ago when we were beating the likes of Swansea and Newcastle in the Cup, I was saying that Oxford were great, not just because I want them to be great, but that they were playing brilliant stuff and we had some really good players who have gone on to do really well in the Championship and will probably end up in the Premier League. And I'd have loved to have had a crack at a big team, a really big team when we had that squad and it never quite happened. And now the the worry is, I think I think City will send a half and half squad as, as they always tend to do, but the fringe players they've got, some of England's finest, some of Europe's finest in their age group. Yeah. And then when you when you see your first team, as, and we are quite a young squad still at Oxford, but you see these lads who will consider themselves to be fully-fledged first-team pros. If they're not getting a kick for half an hour against some young kids, it, it becomes really difficult to watch. So I'm hoping something could kind of just kick-start us in that game. Maybe... If you're playing an experienced team, maybe you can get something early on and rattle them a little bit. But it's but the reward is the tie that we've been given, although we've not beaten. We've not really had the upset to get to this stage. We've been the favourite in the two games we've had and just got slightly fortunate with the draw. So something's got to got to change for us. And maybe this can be it, but they, whoever City bring, the infrastructure they've got there now, is these are top, top players that they're going to bring. Discussing the... the, the the footage that's been on BT last sort of few few weeks through this season, back in the last season as well, there seems to be a real desire to get footballers talking, ex-footballers talking, you know, using that time that there is before and after matches, after matches especially, to explore some issues. It's 
been innovative to watch and refreshing as well, to be honest with you, George. I think, you know, everyone who must be working there at the minute must be, th- you know, at times must be buzzing off the response to that. The, you know, it's, it's, it's got people talking about, about quite, quite delicate matters. Yeah. And it's, it's been really enjoyable because, um, it's kind of thing, I wouldn't say we ever planned it. It's not that you ever say we're going to sit people down and kind of take them to the, the darkest parts of their career and get them to talk about it. It's just kind of, it came naturally to start with. And then we, we got the, um, the Troy Deeney day was quite a big one after Watford beat Arsenal last year. And whenever you get Troy Deeney on, he's going to speak his mind. And I think that's kind of when it clicked for us. Actually, it's really interesting if you can get a current player or a recently retired player talk in their mind about the experiences that they've had within the game. So it is, yeah, it's a really exciting thing to be part of at the moment. I'm glad people are enjoying it. I know the, um, the chat with Steve and Frank and Rio backer last season about the England golden generation did really well. And I think the boys probably take it for granted that these are things that people know. And actually maybe we just never asked the questions before. So yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable yeah. at the moment. Just, and on, just like on that, say, George. I'm, just on that. You yeah. get the impression that you that take for granted. You sort of get the impression when those conversations take flight, what actually happens is that the footballers are talking amongst themselves. And one of the things it feels like a window into is that, yeah, that maybe they do take for granted that they've had that conversation because they might have had it privately amongst themselves but not had it in the public sphere, you know? And that's one of the reasons why I think they've grabbed people's attention. Yeah, like the number of conversations down the years that we've had behind the scenes just chatting away because we're football fans talking to people that like football and naturally the conversation goes that way like it would with you and your mates in the pub it's mm-hmm. just how the natural way conversation goes when you get together and the number of times we say that's really interesting that and they'd be a bit like really this just, that's just kind of what happens and you realize it's two very different worlds so when you can open the door on what they go up to and what they think and kind of how how they approach the game that we can't, we always want to know more about what happens behind closed doors. So, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. And I think the fact that it is uh, former players and which we keep pushing to try and get more current players on it because I don't think anyone can be more relevant than someone who's playing at the moment in the Premier League. And if you can get these guys talking between themselves, sharing common experiences, um, it's it's been really interesting. So it's something that we're going to keep trying to do. One more little thing. So I know you're about to run and do rehearsal. The no filter videos, the one around Liverpool this week was excellent. And again, it, it, this stuff, it feels like, and I'm not, this isn't to say that all the coverage in the past hasn't been, but one of the things that comes over from them is you very much get the impression it's being made by people who are football fans who like the game and who don't just like the game, but who like everything that goes around the game. And I think that, you know, in, in that European coverage and in those little mini videos, the no filter stuff, that, yeah. that that screams through that these are made by people who who are trying to put together an experience and not just a highlights package. Yeah, I think from day one of coming into BT, which is my first ever job within TV, there's always this thing about the sense of the place that you were covering the sport in and the the sport that happens on the field not actually being the, the be all and end all of it and trying to find a way to show everything that goes around it so that there's a little way of being at home to make you feel like you're part of the big event that a match day and fan gets to be a part of and the no filter stuff um i think we just realized that we have so much footage that we collect on the day of a game and it doesn't really go anywhere uh or it might go out in a 10 second bit of TV where you're pressed for time actually to put it online and make something a bit longer has been really good and yeah the lads that do it like I say I think it was actually started by a Liverpool fan last year and you could probably tell that in the way that the uh, the run to the final was made in the no filter stuff and that's carrying on now this year it'll work it won't just be for Liverpool it'll be whoever goes 
furthest in the competition, which I'd say maybe Liverpool again, looking at the way things are going. Well, but, boss, to be honest with you, George. Yeah, but, yeah look, come on, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be... It's a really fun online thing that's different to uh, different to anything that we put out on the TV, I think. And while we've got all of that footage kind of at our hands, why not make something of it? Excellent. Great to speak to George. Uh, always good to speak to him. Let's get back with everyone else. Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons having a chat about Reds Bet. Reds Bet partner in the Anfield Wrap in 2018. And uh, they are supporting supporter-related causes, Liverpool supporter-related causes, uh, as it stands, uh, and initiatives, 50% of their profits uh, go to those causes. Um, if you don't gamble, don't worry about it at all. This isn't for you. This isn't what it's aimed at. But if you do, occasionally feel free to switch over to Red's Bet. And with that in mind, John, what's what's grabbed your attention this week? Yeah, you know, I, I like to be on PFA Watch. Yes. Uh, so Mo, Mo Salah's now 9-1 to one, uh, to win PFA Player of the Year, which is maybe a little bit interesting. I still don't think there's an obvious like other contender if you know what I mean. And so so that's quite interesting. And that Hazard's obviously playing really well, but if we don't think Chelsea are going to be challenging at the end of the season, then then is yeah. he kind of likely to get the nod? It's, it's maybe an interesting one. Is there a City player that's kind of outstanding at the moment? You know, is there another Liverpool option that you think play with the year? I mean, Milner's playing brilliant, but he's, he seems unlikely. So yeah, so it's. It does uh, seem like, I mean, maybe there is a there's an argument around Milner and the uh, the Al Ryan gig shout, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If it, but you know, it's 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 all that, and and at the minute he has been fantastic. It, the, your worries more. Does he keep getting the games? If yeah. you know what I mean, the games that you need. Or they might do realize that you know what we give it to an attacking player every year. It's a bit stupid. Let's give it to Van Dijk. Yep, not a bad shout. Something they might do. Naby Keita has gone out to sixteen to one. Which, okay. Um, yeah. Which feels well being yeah. benched in that, isn't he? Okay. But anyway, on to this coming up game. So, I mean, do you, do you want me to just read through all of them or is there anyone, no, anything pick, in particular you, you that you want me to look might, at? You pick three or four that might get my attention. Okay. Um, Mo Salah to win. Liverpool, so, my Mo Salah to score, Liverpool to win and both teams to score 16 to 5. I can get right behind that. That Yeah, that, 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 that's a really nice offer. Uh, the question is, will we concede? Because we've been very good at not conceding. Yeah. But I think Southampton have got two or three lads who might be able to pull something out from nowhere. Yeah. I don't think that's too bad at all. That um, because, as you say, like you know, if if Liverpool win, then you'd imagine Mo Salah to score, and so that that always, yeah. always kind of feels like a of a, a bit of a free one. Um, Liverpool to win and over three and a half goals in the game is thirty three to twenty. Okay, yeah, like that one as well. Yeah, basically, there's four goals in the game. Liverpool, let's say Liverpool three one or something like that. All right, yes, go on. And Liverpool to win one nil, two nil, or three nil is two to one. So you'd almost get to the point there where you were willing the Reds to stop scoring. <laughs> no one wants that. Don't back, don't don't gamble. That's no fun. What if it's three 0 on, on the hour and you're just thinking, oh no. Yeah, and everyone else is like attack, attack, attack. Yeah, everyone's having a great defense. time, and you're just like, oh come on, Reds. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think you like the first two a little bit. Like more. the first two a little bit more, indeed, indeed. Has Aldo done anything this week? I can't see. Oh no, here we go. All those picks. Leicester, Crystal Palace, and Liverpool all to win. It's good that he's done the Reds for once. <laughs> Vote of confidence from Aldo for 16 the Reds. Sixteen to five. Sixteen to five. All right. Leicester are at home to Huddersfield. Crystal Palace are at home to Newcastle, and Liverpool are at home to Southampton. That's a nice treble, I think. Yeah. Uh, all feels very, very likely and plausible. Uh, Newcastle, God, they couldn't have to do with a win, but you know we'll talk about that elsewhere. Uh, thank you very much, indeed, John, and to Reds bet. Um, yep. Made up to be joined by Andrew Pimbley, our old friend from Claremont Farm, and by Nisha Katona, who was basically in charge of everything, uh, to talk about the fantastic, fantastic event that's happening on Sunday, John. Yeah, um, I mean, Andrew's an old, old friend of, of ours. Uh, we've had him on before to talk about Claremont Farm generally and, and events they put on there and that the, the we've sort of helped with. But 
I mean, it's all, it was all building up to Sunday, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> and, uh, the, the dog open day, it's it's competitive. I've only got them in basically because my mum's dog's entering. Really? Yeah, we bought our tickets and we're going over and we, I'm, I'm going to try and see if they're open to bribes. Is this what we're doing right now? <laughs> we <haven't> <laughs> real, <laughs> we've we've actually seen enough. the gin already. Yes. <laughs> we've eyeballed the gin. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah and they won you know and one of the, the dogs this ugly dog won best in show I tell you it's be, it's the best thing on my CV it's like it was life changing honestly and that's so I thought so what Mowgli so we're funding it it's called the Mowgli Trust Dog Show and what we're really into doing is, is obviously supporting our house charity so I thought we'd put something on that brings families together Food at the heart of it, dogs at the heart of it, because of the two things that make Britain tick. So dogs and food and lots of family fun. And we'll raise as much money as we can for Clare House. And that's how it came back. I just had such an amazing day that day. It's like yeah. a big family memory. And I think this is an opportunity for Merseyside to make some really good memories about the two things that matter most to them, <laughs> which is the mutts and the curry, yeah. <laughs> that's true. It is true. It is true. I mean, you've, you've, you've put events on before at the farm. We've talked about them in the past. This is, this is exciting. It is, yeah. I mean... Myself and Nisha have been friends for ages and we've always talked about doing something together. We both love dogs as well and it, and it kind of like happened. Nisha said, look, I want to put this dog show on. I said, I've got the perfect venue. Um, we'll sort out putting an event on, let's do it. And, and that's how it came about. It's a shame we can't enter our own dogs, though, because uh-huh. I don't go to dog shows that often. Your dog's quite ugly, though. I, oh, I don't oh, agree. Oh, I don't okay. agree. Wow. Oh, she, she, she calls it pig dog. Pig dog. Honest. Smells a farm dog. It's a farm yeah. dog. Well, it's, it's working. It's, it is a working dog. <laughs> it's working at eating God knows what. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, on its tag, because it just hovers around the cafe, the outside seating area, and on its tag, it's got do not feed. And everybody just feeds it chips. They come with treats in the pockets and everything. You know what, Feast? I wish she smelled her chips. She doesn't smell her chips. <laughs> you're not judging her. She's going to be going up and down going fast. Yeah, honestly, she smells heavy. You can upset people. Honestly, if your dog's nervous... Do you know who is comparing? Go on. Johnny Bongo. Oh, oh Johnny. Bringing everything together. Bringing everything together. We had Johnny yeah, yeah. last week to talk oh, about the too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Now, funny guy. And uh, yeah, it shows the uh, e- equally kind of like hard uh, uh, tongue, shall we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> approach to dogs. So uh, yeah, we'll see what he has to come up with. Uh, this sounds like, it does actually sound like something pretty close to a dream afternoon, John. Yeah. You've got a bit of everything. Well, you say got afternoon, to... you've got to be there early to register. Yeah, can, time. I, yeah, yeah. can I tell you, you've got to get there. If you want to, you don't have to register, which is great. You've got shows on all day, so different categories all day. Only take 15 dogs in at once, so it's first come, first serve. So get there 10 minutes before the dog class that you want to enter. Literally, two quid donation to Clare House in a bucket and you're in. Johnny Bongo will interview you and there are different judges for each category. But it's dead important. Get there. I'm oh, going to put, yeah, God, he doesn't I know the first thing about dogs, by the way. No, he doesn't and I think know that's that. the I mean, best part about that. that. I don't think yeah. he's that hot on bingo when he starts. So, you'll learn on the stage. That honestly, the idea that you throw your two quid and then before you know where you are, you're on a stage talking to Bongo is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> yeah, stood next to the dog. It's honestly absolutely hysterical. And you're doing the food. 
And we're doing, so it's, we never do mugly pop-ups anywhere. I, it's, I tell you what, it's easier to build a restaurant for me than to put on this dog show. It has been. I've got a whole head office team, and all we do is talk. We've, we've lost a member of head office because of the dog show. I, I kid you not. He just said, I'm terrified, Nishi. said, I'm scared of you going to the theatre on Friday and then coming in and wanting to do Mo- Mowgli the musical on Monday, you know. So um, so it is, it's been full, full on. It te- you know, we'd like it to be an annual event. It should raise loads for Clare House is what we want to do. Yeah. You're flying at the minute, TV show, books. Uh, how much are you enjoying it? You know, the very fact that you get to go and do something like this suggests that you very much are, that you're not mm-hmm. feeling the pressure of all mm-hmm. these things going on. You've got three more restaurants opening next year. We'll mm-hmm. talk about the ones that are opening at the minute. Mm-hmm. It's all fabulous. It's amazing. Just amazing is that I went to a restaurant conference yesterday, 2,000 people in the room. Were we the only, well, we were certainly the only Liverpool-born restaurant chain there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which is an incredible thing for Liverpool. Were you, were you edgy about the chain part? Because uh, It's an interesting thing. Do you know what? As a chain, I employ more, I'm, you know, we'll be a thousand staff by the end of next year. Absolutely. Don't wow. give us stuff about the word chain. My food is yep. amazing. It's from my heart. If you don't like it, find a kebab shop. Um, I employ more people than I've ever done as a non-chain. I pay more taxes. I'm more accountable. Yeah. It's Liverpool on the map. These are Liverpool people driving this in head office. Well, we went we went to Birmingham. So we were in Birmingham, me and John, and we were in the station, and we, yeah. we went there. And one of the things that happened was actually the people who were serving us were talking to us about the Liverpool one. It was this idea that we'd come and we were like, and they were like, do you know the menu? We were like, we know the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you, I'll tell second. you about this menu. <laughs> <laughs> there was an element to that. But it, no, but they were, you know, it was this idea that they saw themselves as part of this thing that stemmed from Liverpool. It wasn't as though there was anything else. It was that this was, it was part of it. It was like being in the Liverpool business, but in Birmingham New Street. That's ex- do you know what? It's amazing to hear that. And that is exactly what we do. So our Liverpool team go down and they train. So it's it's one big organism, Mowgli, yeah. with its heart in Liverpool. And that's the amazing thing. So if we do go to London, it'll be Liverpool London staff with their heart in Liverpool. Couldn't wish for it. Honestly, it's been amazing. So God, you know, William will continue to grow. We might cock up and die tomorrow. Who knows? But it's the know. risks that you face. Sell books. Sell books then, yeah. Sell books. Books and dog shows. Sell books to tell. You mentioned the cafe as well. Let's 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 tick the boxes. The cafe's fantastic. The farm shop's the business. You're again, you're enjoying it, aren't you? You look well. I'm loving it. I, you you know, always look well. You're a very yeah. handsome man. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You come on these shows <laughs> and everyone will say to me after the tab was Andrew, all the women in my life. I was Andrew. <laughs> well. yeah. It's got I mean yeah, Nisha will tell you the staffing is the issue. It is with us anyway, you know, and getting yeah. that. But we've created something, you know, it's 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 almost like home cooked food done well. You don't have to over overcomplicate it. You know, Nisha as well, it's a simple menu. You kind of know what you want. Ours also, it's a simple menu. You know, the Welsh rarebit, you know, the phyllo, the salads, you know, it's it's simple stuff and it's just done well. And it's got that common room feel, you know, and, and people love coming to to Claremont and, and eating seasonal produce, you know, fresh local seasonal. Yeah. It's it's just it's just simple, but you know it's it's got that great view out the front, and um, yeah, no, loving it. So there's an opportunity for people to go to Claremont as well and enjoy themselves there, and that's very much what this is about. It is meant to be fun. You know, we're not going to be too rude about the dogs, ideally. Bongo will be pleasant. He always is. <laughs> You're taking the guts it's, out it's, of it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is all about the fun. So we've got a separate agility ring, and we've got the Bob Hog. Uh, sheepdog and duck show. Oh, ducks now. I've, ducks. Seen, I've seen his sheepdogs. Yeah. Have you seen his sheepdogs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does it with ducks now as well. He wow. is a, he's a legend, absolute legend. We've also got a lurcher show, um, uh, birds of prey. Um, so not only have we got the, the dog show going on, but we've got you know lots of other entertainment. Parent folk are coming. They've got a whole like uh, kids entertainment tent. They've got a DJ on there. 
playing some tunes. They've got a craft centre. They're making slime. They've got a slime workshop. Oh, yeah. Kids um, love slime, you know. I, I can't believe slime went out of fashion. Gunge went out of fashion. When we were growing up, Gunge yeah, was know. massive. Gunge was big. Slime was huge. Do you remember the slime with the worms in? You start 1970s, yeah. this is. You weren't even there. We got the back end of the Gunge boom. So slime's back as a job. Slime's huge now, isn't it? Gareth Roberts' daughter got some birthday money and he's like, what do you want to spend on? She's like, slime. He's like, what, you've got yeah. 60 quid? Yeah. Gets, a, gets a lot of slime. Yeah. My daughter's 17 on Sunday and that's what she's asked for. 17! I've done something wrong, haven't I? Well, there's also a full fairground. There's going to be a fairground there. There's wow. going to be a massive oh, yeah. inflatable assault course. So it's a massive day for the kids as well. What's the year these people can get there and start enjoying themselves? 10.45. Please try and get there for 10.45 if you want to start queuing for the first dog show, which is the best smile. Dog oh. with the best smile. Then it's Charles' best friend. Oh, and then we're getting into serious categories like best short-haired, best long-haired, uh, best of a sausage cry, to be honest with you. I know. Fancy dress. Always. I can't wait for the fancy dress one. Oh, you, here we go, yeah, Charles, Charles' best friend. Look at our blue. Oh, here we go. Oh, that's just the gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the fact that we can only see the back of her. What is she ugly? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what's her face oh, like? I don't know. Honestly, honestly, listen. I'm gonna have to wrap this up because it's getting. I don't think you want to do this on air, John. <laughs> I think you want to pull this off. Pull this. Pull, she's really pull, beautiful. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe she's, like she's got eyeliner on. It's <laughs> like Jennifer Lopez. Oh, oh hello. That's the marker, ladies and gentlemen. If you're bringing your dog down, that's the competition. That's what you're up against, J Lo. <laughs> We've had an absolute ball, been brilliant for them to come in. Thank you very much, Nisha. Thank you very much to Andrew. You know, this is the Anfield rap, and you know what? That sounds like the best Sunday I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> thanks to Forbes, thanks to Andrew, thanks to Nisha, thanks to George. They've all done their bit, and now we're going to do ours. We're going to talk about Liverpool versus Southampton. But before we do that, we're going to have a brief chat with Amelia about the piece that you wrote about the price of football, and more accurately, this reported stat that in a comparative sense, Liverpool's season, average season ticket is the most expensive in the country. This, this, this notion that because of the relative sort of wealth of the, of the, of the area versus that, the, the cost of that season ticket, it caused a, a mild stir in terms of headlines. You looked into it in depth and had quite an elongated conversation with a number of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's not so much expense, it's affordability, because if you, if you were to just straight out look at the kind of the cheapest season ticket in every club in the country... Liverpool is by far not the most expensive ticket. 685 is the cheapest seat in the ground, um, which if you compare that to the cheapest ticket in like some London grounds, it doesn't even compare. It's the issue of affordability. So what they did was look at the average income for kind of the area that these clubs are based in. Um, for Liverpool as a whole, it's £22,000. If you go into Anfield specifically, it's considerably lower than that again. Um, so it's looking at whether people that live within spitting distance of the ground can ever conceivably be in with a chance of affording a season ticket. That doesn't, again, take into consideration waiting lists and the ability to actually get a ticket. Yeah. But it's kind of, if there was some way that you were able to, could you afford one? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. Um, so Jay McKenna from Spirit Shankly was very good in given me a lot of his time and chat to me about it because obviously it's something that he's campaigned on and spoken to the club on and spoken to fans about and, and he done all chat. he's just a great man I've got endless time for him um, but he said that you know kind of while it's not coming down to a choice of do I pay my rent or buy a season ticket that is what it is for a lot of people it's two months rent it's a year's school dinners it's school uniforms it's days out with your family it's a family holiday and realistically how unobtainable does that make it for local fans that want to go to the game and that piece is still obviously freely available on the Liverpool Echo website. Freely available on the Liverpool Echo. Go and read it as many times as you want. Uh, how many times would you like people to read it on average? An average of 100 per person. If you could all do it from different phones and laptops every time as well, that would be incredibly useful to me. I'd look great. Uh, it is, John, something where as I mean, you know, there's, there's always so many different ways to look at these issues. And this is another example, I think, of how where I think we at times, Liverpool supporters, we collectively have this habit of talking about our issues and our problems as though they are 
universal. So for instance, access is one of those things as an example that, you know, there's a lot of clubs that either don't sell out or struggle to sell out. Uh, Manchester City, for instance, and this isn't picking on them, uh, you can do that in your own time separately, listeners. Uh, but there is the, you know, the idea that you could get a seat for the Champions League game for Manchester City because they didn't sell the ground out. So there's yeah. a, we, but we talk like, what are we going to do about access? What's football going to do about access? Well, actually, it's not the same. It's not the same issue across the board. It's it's separate. And this is another another variant on that, John, where, you know, the price of tickets, they do exist in, in a marketplace with other money and other financial considerations yeah they do um, having your right to say that Liverpool's it is in a unique position on this If I mean if they were here you know and wanted to argue freely they could say well we're making a thousand uh, tickets every game available for nine pounds yeah. they'd also say we try to have greater disparities between uh, expensive tickets and, and cheaper tickets and you all kicked off which we did uh, and also the fact that you can't buy a season ticket for Liverpool. So if you're yeah. if you're going to make them cheaper, you're just making them cheaper for the people who can already afford it. Yeah. And so that doesn't help a guy in Anfield get a ticket, get a season ticket for Liverpool. Oh, suddenly I can afford them. I mean, I can't buy one for twenty years, but I can afford it. You know, that's not a, it's not a, it's not a brilliant position to be in. So we are in a unique position and. Look, the club can do more, and we and we should be paying generally less. Um, although, as I said on the post-match show in the week, uh, that PSG game wasn't a great, uh, great advert for for for, 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 for for you know people people should be paying less for football because it was it was just the, the most fun you could possibly have. But I think generally speaking, people should be paying less for football prices. But I think Liverpool are trying, and they're in the you know they the are they are sort of doing things. But that's not to say that you know it shouldn't be pointed out that. You know that where Liverpool is is important, and everyone should feel like at least that, that opportunities are there for them at at least one point during the season. What Robbo said, which is kind of related to that, which was incredibly reasonable, is that ultimately this is impossible. Like, there's no way you will ever please everyone. You'll probably struggle to even please the majority of people. And as you say, if Liverpool play well and do really good things on the pitch. I don't care how expensive season tickets are, mainly because I'm never going to get one anyway. But like, <laughs> it it will cover all manner of sins if Liverpool are playing well. And I think kind of having to justify the spend and being the best football club in Europe and being the most competitive and being able to deliver that week in, week out costs a lot of money. And, you know, I'd rather see a brilliant team play and then see a rubbish team, but I'm able to get a ticket to it. I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult situation. Uh, thankfully, Amelia managed to avoid my cul-de-sac, which is abolish season tickets. That's coming to an Anfield rap show near you at some point soon. You can all kick off on me at Knox underscore Harrington uh, for that one. Uh, we will we'll have that conversation at some sort of point. Um, well, international break when I'm looking to kill some time and cause some controversy. I'll make Craig Hannon happy, John. Uh, we can go to it that way around, increase engagement. Where are we? We are talking about Liverpool versus Southampton and Adam Smith. We're talking about Liverpool versus Southampton and what's what got my attention today was I could pick up 20 players for this you can make a case that there's a number of footballers who could do with this game yes there's the Chelsea one on the horizon but that's a Saturday Wednesday break but simultaneously you want you want to see Liverpool obviously win the game and cruise to victory um, but you can make an argument that maybe that midfield wouldn't have all of Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum in you could maybe put Keiter in you could maybe even play Shaqiri in midfield there's an endless uh, endless selection headache for the manager he will say it's the best type of headache I think everything that you've just said is entirely reasonable and completely fair, but I think there'll only be one change. So I, I, I agree with everything, I, and but I think I, I think the Chelsea game makes it easier. The Chelsea Cup game, I mean, makes it easier for the manager to go the same again, pretty much, because I think he he'll feel the players are in a rhythm. He'll feel there's no particular reason to drop many people. 
Um, and I think that he'll be thinking that he wants the best players in rhythm. And that's one of his favourite words is rhythm and getting them, you know, playing as many games as possible. And I think he will make 10 changes, hopefully just not the goalkeeper gets changed for the Chelsea game um, in the cup. And then he'll want the best players to go away to Stamford Bridge. So it, it is a funny one in the sense that there are loads of options, but at the same time, I just don't see the manager taking any of them really, because I don't, I think it would be, almost silly to do that with the Chelsea Cup game just a couple of days later and one where, let's be honest, it doesn't matter as much because we all want to win the league and we're currently two points ahead of City and giving them any room whatsoever to make up that two points would be a daft thing to do and we probably would let them if we dropped anything against Southampton. How many changes do you think you'll make? Can we play 20 players? Is that okay? Can we just put them all on? Just play ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's an option. Yeah. How many changes do you think he'll make? Um, I would like personally to see Fabino in the midfield just to give him their minutes. I know he got a couple against PSG. 30 seconds, to be honest. Yeah, which, which could have cost us as well because he gave away a free kick and it was kind of like, no, but it was okay because... Our goalkeeper's dead good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to see him come in and not really, don't really want to make changes. I mean, it's a game that we called, but then it's kind of one of them games that can be a bit of a, a slippy sort of one where we, we've we absolutely bossed it six in a row. And then when we're going for our seventh game, obviously six in a row in the league, we could kind of, you know, maybe do something that Liverpool used to do. And I don't think they're going to do it, but, we, you know, um, so I, I think I'd like Fabinho in there, but I don't, I would like to keep it as unchanged as possible. And don't ask me who I want him in there for because it's just a headache. Isn't and it? do you want Firmino or Sturridge to start? Um, do you know what? I'd, yeah, I'd probably start Sturridge again and then bring Firmino on because she sees little glasses. Like, obviously, his eyes still a bit sore. So, and if that was a positive thing, like Sturridge scored and then Firmino come on and scored the winner. So, everyone was happy. How many changes? Um, playing Keita and um, playing Firmino. So, that's two. I just think I'm looking at these next three games and thinking you want to go really strong at Chelsea. So I'm almost giving them lads a week off. So I'm going really strong on against Southampton and then I'm making 10 changes for Wednesday. Um, and then, and, and I worked out before and poor old Thompson, like he still doesn't get a game. And then I'm, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm, and then I'm going back to, that well, well, maybe like maybe the the Milner Henderson Ronaldo midfield for for Chelsea. So maybe Kate plays twice. How many are you playing? I don't know. It's ugh, like I, you don't want to mess with that formula because it's working well and we're winning a lot of games, all of the games, in fact. Um, but also, there's quite a few lads that you think could maybe do with a rest. Um, I'm not going to lie; I have largely not engaged with it because I will be on roller skates for the duration of and will be watching it afterwards. So I'm trying not to get too involved. I like the idea of trying to try to uh, pull yourself back from the from the notion. I'd make three. Uh, I'd start Shakiri. I'd play sort of four two four and not mess about. And almost play. Uh, I'd bring Firmino back in. I'd start uh, Kaita and I'd I'd play Shakiri sort of in, in behind a little bit and and have uh, either uh, Henderson or Wijnaldum next to next to Kaita. Be nice to see Shakiri start. I think. Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be deserved. But also, I think there's a real there's a. My my Brighton thing, and I think the other thing to point out here is that Southampton have been playing four four two, but um, they can't play Ings because he's still formally on loan, so he can't play against us. So then there's a, there's a question there for Hughes, which he may well be in any ways if he puts one more in midfield. And there's the Brighton thing where 
that's the last sort of reference point to a game a bit like this and I felt we, we, we lacked a little bit of something and I think that it was partially how the game went but it was also that we were just maybe it was also where we were sort of in our season and in our time so I I, I would but I'd be alright with the idea of maybe doing something which which says to the players without even the need for a team talk this is the job today the job is that we're, we're tuning up at the break the job is that we're you know th- th- this is the task that's in front of us we're not going to just have battle these we will do that as well but we're going to get on the front foot and we're going to outplay them and we're going to attack at them and and they're going to set up in a certain way which means they'll want to be attacked and so we'll do that with with, with a bit more in the armory that's, that'd be my argument uh, for it um, but you know, I think that I think it is possible that he goes that, that that he goes with something something pretty similar. It's as Adam said before, Kiva. It's it's one where we don't want to allow that sort of we don't want to allow a thing back to Manchester City at this stage. We have to acknowledge that there's every chance we don't go and get a victory at Chelsea. I think we need. But these players also need to tell themselves the story of got up for a massive game against PSG, got the win, and then got back on the bike against Southampton to do the job in the league. Yeah, it's so important we do that after winning Spurs as well and it's at home, so you feel like we're going to have that confidence as well. Um, I can't... This is sort of the start of these games and we've already won, like, the two of them, so we'll be feeling great, but obviously the legs might start be hurting a little bit because we're going to start be playing more in the week and at the weekend. But I feel like, with all respect to Southampton, this is one of our easier games in the next coming fixtures, although we played Chelsea in the League Cup, so that's kind of like, you know, a relaxed sort of situation in a way. Um, I, th- I feel like we we should really batter them, shouldn't we? Like, the way we're playing, we're kind of like just sort of simmering, like we were saying, but I feel like we need to explode at some point and I feel like these could be our victims. Can I put that in a polite way? You know, just these should be, we should be winning 4-0 and just be like, yeah, He's made a few changes or whatever, whatever he decides to do. But we we should be winning this game because we can't. We I think winning PSG the other night we kind of that had a mental effect on Manchester City. And I know Pep Guardiola had a touchline ban, so he was up in the stands, and they didn't have a lot of people there. The fans like it's not like Anfield, is it? But I feel like that had a, maybe a mental sort of effect on City because you know Liverpool beat Spurs and then they went and beat PSG. We're meant to be in the easy group in the Champions League, and they got beat by Leon two one. And it's kind of like, you know, we we've if we keep winning, we're gonna keep scaring people and keep making them make mistakes, but we can't make them mistakes. It's the first time this season Liverpool have kicked off at the same time as Manchester City. Uh both sides have got three PM kickoffs. Um and I think that Manchester United are kicking off at three PM as well. Uh, it's a bit of a strange weekend around the television. Uh, Adam, give me a prediction. Three nil. Three nil to the Reds. Okay, John. Yeah, three or four. No, I think I think it's going to be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that that exciting necessarily, but nice and straightforward. Lovely afternoon, uh, Amelia. Three 0 Three 0 And how how's the skating going to go? I'm absolutely terrified, Neil. Okay, excellent stuff. <laughs> uh, I'll go with 4-0. 4-0 for the Reds. Okay. Uh, everyone's gone bullish there for Liverpool against Southampton. Thank you very much to everyone in the room, to Adam, to Kiva, to John, and to Amelia, to Andrew, to Nisha, to Forbes, and to George Dugdale. Uh, it's been your weekend, or you can ask for no more. Sports Social Podcast Network.